0: Um, but first, let's turn in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes and chapter 3. A time for everything, it's uh, got the title here. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has placed on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to that and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is, has already been. And what will be, has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And I thought in my heart... God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked for there will be a time for every activity a time for every deed. I also thought as for men God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals the same fate awaits them both as one dies so dies the other. All have the same breath God has no advantage over, man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward or if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work. Because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? So, read our word, God's word to us this morning. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are indeed a great God, you are a faithful God. And we thank you that whatever season of life we may find ourselves in, that we can testify to the fact that you are there. We pray this morning that you will reveal yourself to us one more time and that we will come into your presence and hear what you have to say to us. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3. Um, It had to be Ecclesiastes 3, I think. Um, It's a very, very important um, chapter for a number of reasons. Um, God has order, and this order is shown in the seasons. The seasons that we're in now, and when we're in the winter, we're looking forward to spring and new birth, and then for the glory of summer, and then the harvest of autumn, and then return back to winter again. But each one of us here this morning are in different seasons in our lives. Not just age, but in what is happening and God's dealing with us. And where we are and where we stand before him. Whether we acknowledge him or not, he is there and he sees. So we see that life has seasons. We find that in verse 2 in particular, um, where it's extreme. A time to be born. So there is a natural beginning and a natural end. And that is a natural order. As verse 11 states, everything is beautiful in its time. We are God's made. Now do you feel beautiful? Yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> so in all things, God is good, and God is giving order, and life has order, and we are born. There is a time to plant, and there is a time to build and a time to search, all positive. How many times have we planted and how many times have we built relationships and how long have we searched out souls for God and then we've seen the uprooting, the tearing down and the giving up. It's a hard thing to know that God is moving you on. And for some of us, We might find that we have been casting pearls before swine. And now we need to refocus. We need to question the when and the how and the why. Lessons that can be learned only by total and utter dependence upon God. And His leading is absolutely essential. We need to hear God. We need to seek God. And when we do, we need to listen and to cease our existence and to move on and to move as He wills. Now, a prime example of that here in this church, over a number of years ago, we invested a number of us very heavily in a number of individuals, and one individual in particular. We did it because we believed it was what God wanted. We worked hard. We gave up much, both time, emotional time, effort, prayer. And then God moved us on. And it seemed hard to know what was the right thing to do, whether to continue with that relationship and persist in that care, which went beyond, or time to move on. But God wanted us to move on. And the glory is to him and to his time. And we can only commit those individuals into God's keeping and to do what he wills. So there comes a time when the disciples had to shake off the dust from their feet and to move on. They had preached and they had taken the good word and the people had rejected and Jesus' instruction was very, very clear. When you meet that, ob- that rejection, and the people just don't want to hear, at that point, move on. If he is calling out to you now, it's for a season. But if you don't respond, silence will come. If you once stood with him, but now you've drifted away, and you continue in your rejection of him, there will come a time when he will call, no more. I'm sorry if I sound like I'm disagreeing with what courage prayed. But what you prayed was right too, sister. But you may seek and you will not find. So don't harden your heart. If you hear him calling to you now, and if you are in a period where he is reaching out to you, Respond to him while there is still time. Because as soon as night follows day, he will stop seeking you. We have times to dismantle and times to tear down. Times to build up, and that as well is a natural order. Our house, which we live in, we had to tear it down. We didn't take the walls down, and we didn't go to the extreme as we saw earlier where the roof came down, but everything inside it had gone. Floors, um, stairs went, windows went, walls went. There are windows where there weren't holes before. Everything changed. Everything had to come out. The woodworm had to be treated. Everything had to be dealt with. There is no point in having woodworm in your life and then just to cover it over because the sin will eat away at you. You need to get in and root it out. And this church has been through a period over the last decade of being torn down. A time to rebuild. And to God's glory, we have people sitting over there for the first time for many, many a year. Thank you for sitting in that seat, by the way. <laughs> but it is a blessing of God that God is filling this church up because it means that He is gathering His people, A, to talk to them, but B, for them to be in change people and to go out there and to call and to pull more people to the cross. It's exciting. It's also very painful at times. And then you come to this one, a time to be silent. We're not good at being silent sometimes, are we? But there are times when what is required of us is nothing other than silence. And then there is a time to speak, and that's wisdom. Knowing when to step in and when it's time to let God do the talking and just for us just to be there. There is a time, though, when we do need to speak and we should not shy away from it because God is directing us and directing the way in which we behave. And then we have a time to embrace and a time to refrain. If ever we have been through a period where we didn't embrace and that we refrained from it, boy, we've been through that. But we now have mass torn off and we had praises going up to heaven, and maybe there might be a wee bit of embracing. And there's certainly some embracing going on over there. Praise God, there's been a virtual relationship for a long time, and now we can have a bit of embracing. But not just yet. Um, Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to mourn. A time to laugh and dance But those periods are not forever. They are seasons, which God has ordained. We are to seek peace and love, in verse 8, and we are to respect the circle of grief. But we're not to lose ourselves in the downward spiral that that can cause. At the appropriate time, we need to look up and to rejoice in what God has given us, and what he has allowed us, and to cling on to his promise that he will be our all in all, and he will provide all our needs. Loved ones are now in glory. They have exchanged the rags and the pain of this world for robes and are basking in the glory of God. Ultimately, we don't grieve for them, At some point, we start grieving for ourselves. You see, God has ordered a season, not a sentence. We are called to live and see glory and the beauty of his works. Your heart sinks now because I'm going to say that we've got three points and that wasn't the three points. But I will be brief in those three points. When I was looking at this passage, there were three um, verses that really sort of came out. And there's a lot in them. And we've just gone through an awful lot of of wisdom and, and true truth from God. But there were three key verses that came out to me. The first one was in verse 13. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, that that is a gift of God. That God is the provider and that he gives us and it's to him that the glory and it's to him that we should praise. There in verse 2b we have the planting and the reaping, the work and the eat and the drink of the pleasure of our toil which God has ordained and which God gives and which God can take away. Our happiness cannot be based on what we have, though. It can't be based on what we've accumulated, but upon what God has provided. And a really key example of that will be in Exodus 16 and verses 17 and 18 where it says the Israelites did as they were told and some gathered much and some little and this is about the manna from heaven and when they had measured it by the omer he who had gathered much did not have too much and he who had gathered little did not have too little each had gathered as much as he needed. See God giving exactly what was needed, regardless of what the people did. I hadn't noticed that in those verses before. But it is so, so true. What an amazing God that we've got. It's he that is doing the giving. It's he that's doing the providing. And he gives us what we need, not what we want, but what we need. He may opt to disproportionately give as the master gave in the parable of the talents. But that is the grace of God that gives it. And if we have received more, then we have an obligation to be great stewards of what he generously has given us and to use it for his glory. So that's the first point. The second one is in verse 11. And there is an awful lot in this one. Everything that God has made is beautiful and he has set eternity in our hearts. Verse 11 reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time and he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now creation was beautiful. The world that Adam and Eve saw was perfect. It was beautiful in its existence. It was perfect in its design, pure and faultless. A world without death, without disease, without war, without pain, and without awkwardness, which we now have, even though many of us are saved people. The fall, sin, corrupted all of this, tainted it, and caused decay. Pain and death entered in, and the rejection of God was planted, and it painted, it pained the Creator. It broke our relationship and tore it into a thousand thousand pieces. The unthinkable was now a reality. But notice these verses; they're wonderful and terrible at the same time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So we don't die, and that's it. If we did die, and that was it, then there is no consequence for what we do, and we can do what we like. And for some, that might be good news. But the reality is that God has put eternity in our hearts. And like... Unlike the rest of creation, we are eternal. Whatever that means depends totally upon the here and the now. I don't think we can comprehend or fathom what he has and will and is going to do. We are not seeing God as God does, and we don't see ourselves as God does either. We cannot discern his will his actions, or even the consequences of his actions. He is understood in part, but only in part. And it's only when we stand before his throne will we begin to grasp the enormity of what he has done and what he is doing for us now. So with eternity in mind... An eternity in our hearts, realizing that we are not just here and now and gone. We come to verse 17. God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. This is without doubt a mystery as to why and how God allows sin to persist. How he is patient with the doubter. How he is patient with the rejecter and the plain insolent. And with the backslider and the out and out rebel. And yet he is patient. And yet he is merciful. And it is mercy in abundance. It is grace that sees a perfect God send his only son into the world to atone for the sins of the created when creation's total stance is to reject the very love that holds the son of man to the cross. Here we see a God allowing man to rebel and to reject him for a time. A time to hate, a time for war and a time to kill we now have nations preparing to go to war with each other. We see men and women who are unable to discern or to see truth, unable to speak truth, unable to lead with dignity and honour, who divide people and turn people against each other, who cause divisions, who hurt each other, to look into people to seek fault in other people, and then celebrate in their downfall. This is the world that we live in. We have a world that is set on the rejection of God and celebrate in their own downfall. And who judge God and God's standards that he lays out in his word and reject God as being out of date and irrelevant. The eternal, the ever-changing God, the creator and the sustainer, our sustainer, is now being judged by his very own creation. This is our time. This is a time for activity and it's time for the church to rise. But this chapter doesn't hide away from the judgment that is coming. Verse 15, God will call the past to account. Verse 17, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. So a time of accountability, of justice, and of judgment. So the question to you then this morning is this, who is standing in your defense? You? what legal advisor, what wise person will you call upon before God? As in the court we are tried. Who stands? Who makes you perfect in front of an offended God? Nothing that you can call upon, no amount of good deed, between now and eternity, can wipe away the stains of the sin that you have committed. But there is a hope, and there is only one hope. And that is the shepherd king that we've been looking at over the previous weeks. The Lamb of God, the Word, our wonderful Saviour, Jesus. So when judgment comes, and it will, who is going to stand in your place? If you don't know him, then seek him while there is still time. If you have been one that has wandered off, return. While his forgiveness is still raining down, wash and embrace your saviour. Let him bind your wounds and let him put you back together again. The good shepherd is out on the hillside calling your name. He is seeking his lost sheep and looking to rebuild his flock. My saviour knows you. He knows you in a way that nobody else can And yet he still loves you. So this morning, afternoon, stop rejecting him and let him lift you up in his arms. Commend these words, God's words to you and for your consideration this morning. Amen.